I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, folks. We are smack dab in the middle of the holidays. And there's just under a week left to the year 2020. God, it feels good saying that. Um, As we all know, 2020 was the worst. But you know what's worse than 2020? Anal cancer. And our, uh, our past guest, Ella, was a guest that we had on the show this year in 2020, this past summer. And Ella had the ability to find quite a bit of humor in her experience of going through anal cancer. And I got to say, I commend that human for the ability to do so. Um, <laughs> if, if Ella has the capacity to laugh in the face of her anal cancer, which is a funny sentence to say, uh, then I think that all of us should be able to have the capacity to find the humor that exists within the absurdity that was the year 2020. Um, so with that, before we end this year, we're going to we're going to go back to that very fun, very enjoyable conversation with our friend Ella all the way from Australia. Um, and we hope you enjoy this little uh, this little re-release as we are kind of hunkered down and and uh, um, drinking eggnog and and hugging our families and taking a little break here at Sick Boy Podcast. So without further ado, here's our episode with Ella. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Ella. She had anal cancer. Let's talk about it. This is this is kind of fucking cool, guys, because uh, uh, it's it is currently sunny and eleven degrees here in in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. At seven thirty eight p.m. At seven thirty eight p.m. It's about it the is, same here. I just say roughly the right. same here in Ottawa, in, in, in Chelsea, Quebec. Yeah, Ottawa, Canada. Yeah. Or I guess you're in Ottawa right now. Um, and then, and then all the way over in somewhere in Australia. I don't fucking know jack shit about Australia, <laughs> except that there's like tons of wild bugs and and crocodiles, and uh, and cool people and kangaroos, uh, joeys. Um, uh, but it's uh, also 11 degrees and looks like it's sunny. Wow. It is hey, sunny. It's sunny. Do you guys know why? It's the same thing everywhere? Why? Why? Because the earth is flat. <laughs> <laughs> Just Fuck. in case you guys were wondering why it's the same water temperature everywhere. Uh, we are chatting with our friend Ella all the way from fucking Austra- Australia. Australia. Australia, mate. G'day. I, I, promised, I promised myself I wouldn't say g'day, mate, but g'day, mate. What's your, what's your cool best attempt that? at our accent? Um, oh, I can say one word in, in the Canadian accent. All right. Um, it's it. the white dairy drink that comes from cows. Okay. Milk. And I say it, it you say milk. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that yeah, was wait, really wait, good. Yeah. What do you, wait, what what do you, you say? What do you say? Yeah. Milk. 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 Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. It's got, it's, yeah, it's got a lot so of I pronounce that, that letter I. Milk. Milk. Hey, Milk. hey, Ella, what part of Australia are you in? I'm down in Melbourne. Um, Melbourne is um, the one of the southern, um, it's the capital city of Victoria. So we also have a Victoria mm. in, in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is known for great coffee, great food, terrible weather by Australian standards, mm. um, and, and lots of sport and lots of music. 
So I, I assume that you must know my friend Hanny and uh, Steph, who also live there. Of course, right? obviously. I mean, there's yeah. only uh, I don't know four million of us. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Shout out to Sam if you're listening. G'day. from Melbourne. G'day. Um, so, so one thing that I do know about Australia, aside from the Joeys and aside from the cool people like yourself, mm. is that y'all get a, a, a bunch of sunlight and there's this really, there's this new hip thing that's popped up on Instagram uh, from like wellness influencers called sunning your asshole. And here's my, here's how we're going to transition into today's episode. Um, I don't yeah. know if you've seen the photos of sunning your asshole is this but, like uh, a bleaching is this it, like a bleaching it's kind of yeah it's kind of similar i'm gonna actually put it in the chat here guys and if you want to bring it up you can it's look at it yourself the sun where the sun don't shine I've it not is heard it is literally putting the sun where the sun don't shine and the reason why i bring up sunning your asshole is because <laughs> oh <my> um, God. <laughs> we are currently talking to ella who who has skin cancer up her asshole Yes. And I'm wondering, is this a result of this new cool hip <gasps> fad sunning your asshole, perineum sunning? Guys, I think you've <laughs> nailed it. It's, it's, it's been two years and about 19 specialists. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's me for. doing all that nude yoga in, in, in the harsh Australian sun. <laughs> That's it. You know, what's, you know what's really funny is the first comment on that post that you sent is, is how rich are your parents? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, that's hilarious. Dude, not uh, only is this poor woman's butthole being uh, being ravaged by the sun, but she's oh also cooking like an egg on a rock that I am only assuming could be no, no less than seventy degrees Celsius. Yep, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, but enough about uh, that. Um, uh, Ella, you you do you do or did uh, maybe correct me have or had skin cancer up the butt. How does yeah. that work? Yeah, right up the whoopsie. Um, <laughs> I am two years post a diagnosis of stage 3B anal cancer. Anal, okay. So, so is there a difference yeah. between, because so, cause in, the, in the pre-interview that, that our, our measly intern who gets paid nothing uh, did with you, she wrote down, she wrote down skin cancer up the butt. Mm. And, and I was like, skin cancer up the butt? Is that... Mm. Is that even a possibility? Are we talking like melanoma? Because no, we were kind of, we were, sorry, we were just kind of wondering if she was just doing a, a, a half-ass job because, <laughs> um, you know, we're not paying her that well. So we yeah. just figured that she just wrote skin cancer up the butt <laughs> when really there's a, a lot She's more to it. taking shortcuts. No, Lauren was amazing. I think you should definitely pay her more. And okay. um, she did a we'll wonderful interview and she's correct. Promises. <laughs> uh, I, I have, I had um, what is uh, known as a squamous cell carcinoma. So that's a type of skin cancer. It's not a melanoma, oh. thank God, because um, you really don't want a melanoma and you certainly don't want one up your bum. But it's, um, it's true. The, uh, and again, I did not know this until two years ago um, when I was diagnosed, but the skin that goes from the outside of your bum up your anus there's that mm -hmm. sexy word again, mm. is the same skin that's on your hands and legs and the rest of your body. And then there is literally a point at which your anus turns into your rectum and then that turns into your bowel. And that's why mm. there's anal cancer, rectal cancer and bowel cancer. And right. they're all completely different cancers. So oh, yours, wow. is, yours is just, yours is, is obviously after you make that transition from the skin that makes up your, your butthole to the skin that makes up your, your anus. Correct. So when they found that nasty lump, or I found that nasty lump on my bikini line, um, and they stuck needles in it and they tested it, they came back and they were like, well, the bad news is, is that it's a secondary cancer. And... The worst news is, is we don't know where the primary one is. Oh, oh shit. But we know that it's a squamous cell carcinoma cancer, and so it's got to be a skin cancer. And so then we spent like four days looking at my body trying to find this goddamn cancer until oh. someone had the bright idea to stick their finger on my bum. That wasn't the first thing someone wanted wow. to do? Yeah. <laughs> I God. mean, I know. 
You, they didn't even buy me dinner first. Hmm. I mean, <laughs> okay, but Canada, I, I, I had a sore toe, and the first thing they did was ram a finger right up my ass. I, I just thought that was standard. Although this was a this was a back in, alley in this was a back alley doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, okay, right. but wait. So, so you said that you you mentioned that you had this lump near your bikini line mm. um, when you first discovered that. Um, what was that like? Were, were were you worried about it? Oh yes. Um, I have a long and checkered history of lumps and bumps. Um, I also have a long and checkered family history of people dying early from cancer. And Mm. I also, on top of all of that, um, have a healthy dose of generalised anxiety disorder that does tend to manifest itself in um, hypochondria, although we're not allowed to use that word anymore. We have to say health anxiety. So when I found that little pea-sized lump on my bikini line, I reckon it took me about 12 seconds to get to my funeral. Oh, oh fuck, yeah. so you, were free, you were freaking freaking out pretty, pretty immediately. Where, so, where, on your, where on your bikini line? Like um, like close to where the... Bikini line's like no, just one part of the body, bro. It's, it's, pretty, it's, pretty like, it's a pretty localized it? spot, the bikini line. It, it's it a line I'll tell you, I'll tell you what it was, Brian. It, was, it ended up being my lymph node. So if you know where your lymph nodes are... That's why I was asking that because you have you have a fuckload of lymph nodes and and they usually get inflamed first, right? Because that's a sense of of um, inflammation in the body or that yeah. you're fighting off something. Yeah, and that's what the GP said to me when I went the very next day. See, aforementioned health anxiety, um, and I said I've got this lump on my bikini line and it's not sore. And it's not moving around. And I do know from my family history that those are two signs that maybe it's not just an ingrown hair. Mm. Uh, and she felt around while my kid played on the ground with her toys. And um, she said exactly what you would expect a GP to say. And it was the right thing to say, which is it's probably nothing. Leave it a month. And then um, if it still hasn't gone away, then we'll give it an ultrasound and a biopsy and do all that sort of nasty stuff. So you feel pretty justified in your, in your, in your, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, you said that you've, you've had, you've, you've kind of had this health anxiety or for, I'm assuming for most of your life, you've been kind of like in that headspace about health. Do you feel like, do you kind of feel vindicated a little bit? Like, good word. I mean, one of the, one of the, um, one of the lines I started to crank out um, when I was sort of over-medicated and under-stimulated um, during my treatment was um, the worst thing. What's worse than a hypochondriac is a vindicated hypochondriac. Mm. And it's true. Mm. Like, I am a GP's worst nightmare because they're doing their best and they're bloody good at what they do. But holy hell, I mean, 400 people were diagnosed with anal cancer in Australia in 2015. And that was really the last time there was any sort of stats around it. It's such a rare cancer. And mm. the poor woman, I still see her. I still, you know, go in and out of the same GP practice. And I don't know whether I'm just projecting, but yes, I feel a little vindicated because I didn't wait a month. I went and had an ultrasound straight away. Um, but I also feel really bad for her because she didn't do anything wrong. Right. In in uh, in Australia, what's the healthcare system like? I don't know that much about it and and in hearing you say that um, she told you to wait a month to go get an ultrasound, like what's the process of like trying to speed that up and going and getting one quicker than what might be recommended by a GP? Yeah, it's a good question. We've got a really good public health system. Um, It's similar to the in the UK, the NHS, it's called Medicare um, and it it covers everything. Uh, But yeah, you have to go through the public system, which means that 36-year-old women with tiny lumps on their bikini lines um, would probably have to wait some time um, to to get an ultrasound. Um, having said that, she wrote me a, a, a referral. I could have gone the very next day. It was more of her recommendation. Okay. But um, I happened to be in a ongoing monitoring relationship with a um, breast cancer surgeon because of a family history of breast cancer. Just to be clear, I've never had breast cancer and I don't have the genes for the breast cancer. But I like to get checked out and very coincidentally I was actually seeing him the very next day and um, he was telling me the excellent news that my boobs were clear and I was feeling really smug because you know 
my boob. So I took the, <laughs> I took the credit for the cells being excellent. And as, excellent I, as I stood up from the appointment and I said goodbye, I still remember this as one of my very seminal cancery moments. I put my bag over my shoulder. I walked out the door. And because I can never resist um, the chance for a joke, I turned my head and I said to him, well, Sue N, that's his name, um, it's always good to have something to worry about. So now I don't have to worry about my tits. I can worry about my lump on my groin. And he didn't laugh at my hilarious joke. Instead, he said, can you please come back inside and lie down and I want to look at this. And he was the reason why my, oh my treatment became um, sped up and my wow. diagnosis was sped up. So Whoa. Whoa. That's crazy. So how, how long ago, I, I mean, okay, how old are you? I'm 38. And, so I was sorry, and sorry, can I just go back to that moment when you went back into the room? Um, yeah. when, when you went back into the room and he checked the lump there and, and kind of expedited that whole process, did he, did he kind of raise any red flags for you leaving the room no. that day? Where Okay. No, and again, he's one of the most um, amazing, skilled, um, revered, um, cancer specialists and surgeons in the country, and he looked over the desk at me and said, "I'm almost certain it's a hernia, so don't mm. worry." Because he knew that my anxiety was was very bad. Mm-hmm. Right. So this yeah. happened when you were 36. Yes. And that was that. So now two years ago. Yep. It was April 2018 when I was diagnosed. And you you said that you have a you have a child. Yeah, she was five then, so she's just about to turn eight. Right. Well, you know, in terms of like the the anxiety surrounding being diagnosed with cancer, um, how much of the fact that you you have a kid, like, how, how did that play a role in your in into your anxiety and and the things that you were feeling? Like, there's obviously the, the, the anxiety of, of just like going through the process of having cancer yourself and, and what that entails. But, um, did, was like, you know, did thoughts of your, your family come up during all of that? And like, what were the discussions with your, your partner? I, I assuming that you're, yeah, I've got a husband you're with your, your husband. Yeah. Okay. His name's Tom. He's excellent. Um, I, it was horrible. It was hell. That was the mm-hmm. worst bit. The worst bit was, um, as, as anyone, and, and you guys, I know you've spoken to a fair few people who've received cancer diagnoses and, and other sort of um, significant health sort of diagnoses. The, the worst point I've found, and I've spoken to lots of people who've gone through this, is the point between diagnosis and prognosis. Because you, don't, you know you're sick, mm. but you don't know how sick you are and you don't know what they can do about it and you don't know whether you're going to die or not. And mm. that time can stretch out for two or three weeks. For some people, it can be longer. But luckily for me, it was about two weeks, and that yeah, was the two time. Weeks of your life. It was it was fucking hell, and and um, the the thing that made it hell was also the thing that got me through it, because mm. there was a very distinct sense of um, it's a fear I can't really describe. It's a terror. It's a very primal animalistic terror that you need to run. And you need to get away from this very, very, very bad thing that's just happened to you. But on the flip side, it's in you. And no matter where you go, you can't leave it. And so you're going to have to face it. And so the terror that I felt was because I was a mother. And I was obviously um, thinking about leaving a child um, out in the world and not having me around for her. But on the flip side, um, she was the very reason why I got up every morning and made her raisin toast and danced around to bad 80s radio and just lived my day as mm. normal because you have to when you've got a five-year-old. Mm. Wait, when, you say, when you say run, like, are you talking about like, like metaphorically r- running from the thing that's out to get you? Or, or do, you, do, you like, do, you, do you mean literally run from your life to just get away like kind of like yeah. you know, like like a you know when like when my cat got hit by a car um and i know that this is like pretty normal with cats is like is if they get sick or if they get hurt mm. they 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 don't come to you for help 
they're they're gonna try to like hide and die under a deck or under yeah. a rock or like away from anything everything and, and anything whereas like my dog he's been having seizures like recently right and and when he goes into having a seizure it's he he immediately like sprints to me he's like i need yeah. to be safe i need to be with my my owner and like comes to my feet and it's it's such a it's such a drastic difference yeah. between the two of them right uh, the way that they handle this and i've known i've known people i a good friend of mine i remember his mother came it got diagnosed with cancer and it was it was terminal and she was going to die pretty quickly and it blew my it shocked me i was a kid when it happened but it shocked me that she she just left she she went to the province that she was from she left uh, my friend and and his father um here and and she just like just kind of wow. like like disappeared from their life and it was this uh it was this very very um intense and like and and bizarre uh coping mechanism i guess mm-hmm. but but now but i just heard you and i've never really thought about it until you just said that mm-hmm. there and I, it made me wonder like it, were were you in that sort of fight or flight m- mode i think when I talk about that sense of that primal need to just run, it was it was a fear. So I never felt like I wanted to um, run away from people, whether they were my right. family or my um, my social group, or even mm. as it sort of extended, probably a, um, a a group of strangers. The opposite. I really lent into that, and I and I probably overexposed um, myself to as many people as possible, <laughs> but. That, that sense of wanting to run was when if something terrible happens to you at the very first point, much like your cat, um, it, it was, and I use the word animalistic um, in the really purest sense of the word, that first 48 hours after being diagnosed, um, I did a lot of crying in cars because mm. when you're a parent, you can't really cry at home. And they were the worst moments because I was sitting in the car with my mother and she was trying to tell me that everything was going to be okay. And I was sort of doing this weird howling, groaning sound that I've never heard and I've never produced and I certainly would never want to do again. And it was this moment at which I realised that my mum was telling me that everything was, being, was going to be okay and I couldn't believe her. And I think that for every adult there comes a point at which they realise they can't believe their parent when they say that. Mm. And that's a that's a real moment, and so that was my primal. Um, my mum's not going to make everything better. I can't run away from this, um, so you know I better dust myself off, get back into the into the house, and make dinner. It's so um, interesting to hear you say that because I feel like for the first time I'm under I'm understanding how my mom felt with um, her cancer diagnosis. Um, a few years ago she had bladder cancer and I could never understand why she knew that I hosted a podcast where I talked to sick people Mm. yet she wouldn't come and talk to me about the struggles or challenges that she was facing because it felt like too much of a burden for her to um, put that on my shoulders and she like I'm her kid she wanted to protect me Mm -hmm. and it was so hard for me to understand why even though like i i understand i understand the i understood the idea of her telling me that she wanted to protect me mm. however like rationally i wanted her to see the rational side of it mm. where i was like but you know it'll be easier for you if you talk to me about this like i do this i, mm. I i'm i'm here for you i yeah, want to make you feel you. better but it was it's it's that feeling that you describe of like this is the first time i'm realizing that it's like she probably felt so scared that, you know, no matter what I said, it wasn't going to make the situation any better. No. And, and, and to build on that, if, if she was to tell you that, how heartbreaking for a mother to break that news to their child. And one of the blessings that I had when I got sick was my kid was five. So it was real easy to, um, paint an appropriate picture for mm. her of my illness. Um, we waited until we knew what the, diag- what the prognosis was and what the treatment would be and what the plan was, and then we sat her down and we said, Mummy's got a lump in her bum. 
it sounds a bit funny, it sounds a bit silly, it's not a good lump and it shouldn't be there. And so we talked her through very broadly the treatment that I was going to have. She looked at me straight away and she said, oh, is it worms? Because uh, she's five and, and yeah. that's what five-year-olds have, they have worms. Mm. Um, so, so, you know, I was really conscious of not, of not making her um, fearful and also um, it still breaks my heart that, you know, two years later, I don't know whether it's her personality and, and how much is sort of nature or nurture, but she still worries that she has to look after me sometimes. Mummy's um, got a lump in her bum is is a kids book that I think should be made. Like that is such yeah. a that's such, such a fucking title. perfect and it's yeah, not such a perfect title for for a children's yeah <laughs> totally yeah. Mummy's got a lump in her bum. <laughs> Sick Boy Podcast. We'll be right back after this very short break. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. You said something that that stuck out to me, which was that there was only. Um, how many people did you say have, have in Australia have been diagnosed? It- in 2000, and, I mean, I, I work in advertising, I'm shit with stats, but in 2015, I think there were 4,000, no, sorry, in 2015, 421 Australians were diagnosed with anal cancer. Okay, so it's a, it's a rare cancer, because I was going to say, I think you're the first person we've ever met who ha- who's, who's had anal cancer. Mm. Uh, am I am I right about that, guys? Like, I, I mean, we've definitely touched on colon cancer. We've touched on rectal yeah. cancer, but I don't think we've, I don't think we've heard from anyone who has a cancer of the anus. It's super rare, uh, and I struggled yeah. to find anyone to talk to about it because anyone who has anal cancer is generally a seventy-five-year-old bloke, right? And, I mean, okay. like support, like support talk, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So on the on the side of the support talk, then let's assume that out of the you know the thousands of people that listen to the show, maybe there's one of them who also has mm. anal cancer or is about to, or maybe they don't know it yet and they're about mm. to get anal cancer. What are the things that you would say to them to you know? It's like the 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 things that that mothers always say after they had their their first kid. They're like, "Well, no one ever told me this." Like, what's the what's the no one ever told you this about anal cancer, and and like what 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 are the particulars of it that that people might not really consider? The really quick way of answering that is, um, and if someone said this to me. Um, two years ago, I would have punched him in the gut. But it's a good cancer. And there's no such thing as a good cancer. And I get that. Mm-hmm. But it is well, one of... We've all watched of, Seinfeld. Well, yeah. It's yeah. better. Exactly. It's, what's, what's so the, better? The, the first headline I would give someone is um, it is treatable and manageable and you have options. And when you are diagnosed with cancer, all you want is options. Mm-hmm. To go into that, I, I want to tell you a really quick little story because when I was first diagnosed, my husband and I, we both work in advertising, but he's like a strategist. So he sort of does charts and insights and all sorts of very, very stuff. Whereas I'm in client service. So I write timing plans and I get shit done. And so I set up this cancer station at home. And the first thing I did was I went out to Kmart and I bought loads of new stationery. It was amazing. <laughs> and then like we had like phones and it was like sort of, it was like a, in my head, it was like a montage with music playing in the background and we were talking and we were typing and we were trying to get together our treatment team. And the first thing you do is you, 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 is you audition your treatment team. And I knew this because I spoke to lots of people and I asked them what they what would have done differently. And they said that we wouldn't have taken the first doctor that was given to us. We would go see like this doctor versus this doctor and get them to pitch to you and tell them, tell you why you should be working with this doctor. So the first doctor we went and saw was um, a very esteemed head of a very esteemed department in a very esteemed hospital, and he was looking at my PET scan, which showed that I had um, anal cancer and then it had spread to both my lymph nodes, which is not good. You don't want cancer in your lymph nodes. That's real bad. 
and he was sort of kept talking to me in a boy and he was like wafting his hand over my scan and he and then anyway at one point he referenced all of my reproductive organs and my genitalia and he said your pause waft pause waft lady part <laughs> and I was like <laughs> and Tom my husband was sort of holding my hand so I didn't stand up and stomp off anyway the next day we went and saw another doctor. You were like, it's my pussy. <laughs> I, I was going to say something else Just because I it. know that you Australians say are pussy. very fond of well, the sea bomb. My, my which, is, which is a different, which is a different animal over here. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't drop the sea bomb, but as Tom marched me down the hallway away from him, I was sputtering over my shoulder saying, it's a vagina. That's my uterus. Um, anyway, so the very next day I went to see another doctor, um, same job, different hospital, still steamed, still male, still white. Um, you know, they, they sort of feel like they're all pretty much cookie cutter. And we walked into his office and he sat me down, and this is answering your question, and he said, I'm going to tell you something that no one else is going to say to you. I said, okay, you know, like settle in already. Yeah, I was right. like, I this like you. All, this is already good. <laughs> yeah. um, he said, um, you are going to regret that you ever met me. You are going to experience pain in a way um, that you can't imagine. And if you stick with it, then you will get better. Wow. And he looked so certain and he was so honest that I was like, sign me up, man. I'm in. And I said to well, yeah. Tom in the hallway outside his office as we left, this time Tom didn't have to march me away, and I said, I want him on my side in a laneway knife fight, mm. and therefore he's going to be on the cancer team. Fuck yeah. Wow, he was the, how, he was the fucking... only one that didn't get fired off of the apprentice's medical, medical edition. Correct. How, how so he was brutal, the first one we appointed. How brutal would it have been, though, if he was like, listen, Ella, I'm going to tell you something, and you're not going to like to hear it. You're going to feel pain. It's not going to be good. But if you stick with it, we will get through it. Just trust me. And then you're like, fuck, yeah, all right, this is the guy. And then he goes, but uh, first, let us just look at your lady bits here. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Fuck! Fuck, yeah, the lady bits? That's, cr- um, that's kind of interesting. I've never really heard, like, we, we've, I think in the, I think, I mean, you know, you hear of people going, uh, you know, getting a second opinion or, mm. or having a, or having like a, an issue Mm. where with a doctor where they, you know, where they end up switching doctors. But I've never really, I don't think in all the episodes and all the conversations we've ever had, I don't think we've ever really heard it being described as like hearing pitches from, Mm. from from doctors. And I mean, like that's, I mean, what a, what a, um, what an amazing, you know, any healthcare system on earth, you can find a whole bunch of problems with, but what a, uh, but what an awesome, what an awesome, uh, you know, ability to be able to go, Hey, I don't like, I don't, yeah. I don't want to choose this one because I, I don't, I don't get the, I don't get a good vibe from this yeah. one or th- this one doesn't really kind of jive with me. And to be able to go with somebody that you really feel is going to be able to, to take care of you. Because I mean, as a, a, there is something for sure to be said about, I, I was, I was listening to something that was maybe a couple of weeks ago and it was said, saying that on the upper end of placebo, uh, placebo can have a performance, uh, increase of up to 15%. Amazing. And, and so there is something very much, very much to be said about believing that someone can take care, take good care of you. You're spot on. I mean, I think that, um, I did a lot of research into, you know, psychological support and meditation and, and positive thinking and, and psychiatric support. And, um, and, and I, um, I, I really strongly believe in that. I, I'm, I'm conscious that I come from a point of privilege. Um, I, I had a most of my treatment through the private health system, which allowed me to, um, as I said, audition specialists. You can do that through the public health system, but it's trickier. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I did not receive a diagnosis that was so rare or so advanced that I had no choice. 
So I had a choice of who I could go chat to. But in that point of privilege, I still could have made the decision, which most people I've spoken to have done, particularly if they're older, that they take the treatment and the team that they are given mm-hmm. as opposed to seeking a treatment and team that they feel part of. And that was a really important um, delineation for me because I'm a massive control freak and <clears throat> I need to feel that I am in control of the process, even though we all know that I'm not, mm-hmm. um, because it, it helped with that placebo effect and with that sense that I, that I knew what was coming. So when he said to me, it's going to be very, very painful, I'm probably going to have to hospitalise you for pain management, it meant that when I was eventually hospitalised for pain management, it was all part of my plan as opposed to a terrible thing that came out of the blue like a macro. Right, right. Ellie, you mentioned that um, it's good to have options. Uh, and and I know that uh, relating back to my mom's experience with cancer, uh, she had kind of three different routes that the doctors advised her about, and, and she had the option to choose which one she was going to take. Um what were your options like? Like, what what do they tell you when they, when you have anal cancer, um, and it's stage three B? Did you say? Yeah. What does that mean, and what? How do they treat that? Um, they said we're going to give you a treatment protocol that we have used since the seventies. To which point, I turned around and said, "That doesn't sound very good." Yeah, give me the one you've been using for the last only 10 years. Can I have the new one, please? (laughs) Yeah. But what they explained to me was um, it has been so successful since the 70s that they haven't had to change it. So whereas I had options You're like, bullshit, I'm in marketing. I know how this fucking works. I know that's spin. Um, So I had the same treatment that basically everyone on the planet has for anal cancer, which is... um, you um, blast the tumour and all of the lymph nodes around it with 30 sessions of radiation, which is a shitload. That is a Um, shitload. That sounds like the ultimate bidet. It's... (laughs) I can't have any more. I'm done. cleanest butthole after that? (laughs) Well, you know, that's how... I got photos. No, I don't actually. I don't. Um, and then I also had chemo, and the chemo was the mopping up chemo. So the way that they explained that to me was um, the chemo is actually probably not going to do much for the anal cancer specifically, but it's going to go around the rest of your body. And if there's any um, micro cancer cells that we haven't been able to pick up, um, ideally it will it will kill them. Mm-hmm. So the chemo was crap because it was a it was a chemo I'd never really seen on the on the TVs or the movies before. It was actually a um, portable pump and it was like, it was so weird. It was a bladder, like a soft, squishy bladder of what looked like water in a plastic bottle and then they surgically put a, um, a line right up and it sat just above my heart mm-hmm. and what it did was as my heart beat, it pumped the chemo into my body continuously for I think it was 72 hours. Ah. Oh, wow. And and they gave it to me Jesus. in a sad little string bag that I hung around my neck and I had to walk around for three or four days with a bag of poison with the bladder the getting thing. progressively smaller as the poison went into my body. Oh, my and, God. And, and why, and did anybody say why that, as opposed to like the one where you go to the hospital, they hook you up, you're there for a few hours, and then you peace out and... Yeah, they want it in your body for as long as possible. Oh, so, and, they want to, and they want to strip away as much dignity of, as they yeah, possibly yeah. can you know in this process. I, I carried that bastard of a bottle because even though the plastic bladder got smaller, the bottle obviously is still the bottle. The yeah, only thing yeah, is, yeah, is yeah. it got lighter. It was interesting. Like every sort of <laughs> couple of hours I'd be like, oh, it's hanging on my neck like a slightly less heavy millstone of death. Um, right. But I just, <laughs> luckily for me it was winter and so I had my big long parker on and I just shoved that bad boy down and I did school pickup and the laundry and I just carried it around. Did it make you feel real? Did like, did you feel real shitty? Yes. The only thing that it was like being early days of pregnancy, I ate a lot of potatoes. I mean, you're looking at basically Mm. one of the only humans on earth that gained weight through chemotherapy. 
<laughs> Interesting. Is, is that like, it, it, it gave you potato craving? Oh, my God. Mashed potato, fried potato. Fries? Yes. Fat Coke. What do you guys call fries What's in Australia? Fat Coke? Fries. Wait. Ah, chips. chips. Oh, yeah, look at that. That's the most Australian oh, thing I've ever heard. You want a, oh, chip, you want a brew? chip brew? You want a chip brew? That's a... That's a chips. Cheerio. That's a Kiwi thing. Um, that's a Kiwi thing. Uh, I, I'm, I'm curious. How do, they, how do they do radiation in your butthole? Do, they, do you have to look like that lady who was getting the perineum sunning or <laughs> just fucking yeah, knees up by your ears, your legs and butthole point pointed butthole directly up? <laughs> I have thought to myself, I'm going to share this part of the story with you. Oh, because okay. I haven't right. told anyone this story. Oh my god, exclusive, oh, boy, exclusive. Oh my god, but, wow. I think, but if I have to tell anyone, that it has to be three strange Canadian men who have yeah. Of course, of course. <laughs> when you, you don't get, have to if you don't want to, <laughs> oh, but you should. You're the sweet one, <laughs> <laughs> Brian but is the sweet shut one. Up, yes. but if, yeah, <laughs> shut up, Brian. Shut up, Brian. All right, go ahead. <laughs> The way that they tr- they give you radiation for anal cancer or cervical cancer or any other sort of cancer is you, you you still lie down on a bed and a massive machine goes around you. You don't go on your hands and knees. You don't lie on your tummy with your bum in the air. It's just um, it's pretty amazing. They basically um, map out your exact body inside and out, and then with the world's most amazing computer, they work out exactly where. The radiation beams are going to go over the fifteen-minute treatment. Yeah, because it's lasers, right? It, like they laser. Did did they give you the little radiation tattoo? Yep, I've got four yeah. tattoos. I'm, I'm basically Ruby Rose now. Um, <laughs> so before that, they have to map your body. They have to work out exactly how they're going to do it. So they do things like they mold this special blue plastic. Um, almost looks like a mini banana lounge that you lie on, but it sort of cups you in and makes you stay really still because they want to make sure that they're firing their radiation at exactly the same point Mm. by millimetre and it's every day um, for six weeks without weekends because cancer doesn't work on a weekend. Because you had like the crazy number of it. You had 30 30 rounds of it. Wait, did you say you don't do weekends because cancer, like you're making the joke, cancer doesn't work on Cancer doesn't work on the weekends, Brian. You didn't know that cancer 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 doesn't work on weekends? They actually give you the weekend off? Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. And if you're in the Middle East, it's a a Friday, Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just want to say, because this kind of blew over Ruby Rose for those... of you out there who aren't aware, because I fucking wasn't, is a very hot, um, very tattooed Australian model. Um, uh, oh wait, and and uh, is she the one yeah, that so was you, in John so, Wick? Or am I making that up? I don't know. I'm thinking of the deaf the deaf woman who is in John Wick. Who is no, no, guy. different, different, uh, different actress. Okay, yeah. Um, she she kind of looks like Justin Bieber. She does. <laughs> yeah, dude, that yeah, is. She's got a beavery look. That is the one I'm talking about. That's her. No. Really? Yeah, no. dude. She was in John Wick. She's very she's the, which she's one? very beautiful. She's, the, she's, the she's deaf, very tattooed. Uh, badass villain in John Wick uh, 3. The one that's going two, around. Two, that, two, that's two. The, like the auditor? No, 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 no. No. Number two. John Wick 2. That was John Wick 3. That was 3. Anyway, okay, whatever. We, we, <laughs> okay, we're good. You guys carry on. That's fine. We digress. <laughs> um, what, what out of out of all the treatment that you went through? What would you say was the what would you say was the hardest part? The hardest, the hardest one, the hardest, the hardest element. Um. So, the the side effects from the radiation um, is horrific. It, and I think the word that the doctors used for me at the very beginning is it's brutal. Mm. They said that um, a fair percentage of people going through those 30 sessions of radiation therapy don't um, can't, can't do it from beginning to end. They actually have to take a break um, because it's third-degree burns on your oh. bum hole. Oh. So at the very beginning of the process, and I almost got away with not being able to tell you the embarrassing story, but I'm still going to tell it to you. Wonderful. But when they were mapping out my body and when they were going to do the, um, they were mapping out that plastic banana lounge and they were giving me my ruby rose tattoos, they put me into a room with these three young radiation nurses, two of which I think were on like internship. They were, they were just babies. 
and they were so nervous because they'd never done this before and they'd certainly never done it with a 36-year-old woman. But they had their instructions from my um, radiation doctor and that was to give the tattoos, to map my body for the um, banana lounge thing, but also to measure the circumference of my anus. Whoa, what? And they didn't know that until they read his instructions on the computer in front of me. And if you want to see three 22-year-old women lose all blood from their cheeks simultaneously, and I'm sitting on the edge of their bed, of the bed, and I'm like, everything okay over there? And they're going, uh-huh. um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's lots of whispering and things. And that was sort of this point where I just, I don't know, like my job kicked in and my job in client service is to make everyone feel comfortable. <laughs> and I was like, come on, can't be that bad. What is it? And they were like, um, okay, we're just going to take this, um, this wire and we're going to wrap it into a tiny circle and then um, we're just going to sticky tape, sticky tape it onto your um. And I was saying, my bum hole? They're like, yes. Uh, and so I. Everybody poops. <laughs> Come on, Air. Everybody yeah. poops here. And so they taped this, this round um, wire sort of thing to my bum. Whoa. So do you know, do you know the circumference of your butthole? Did they, did yes. they, did they relay that information to you? Yeah, they did. And I'm never telling you. But wow. It's- <laughs> you're, you're the only person, you're the only person I know who knows the circumference of their own bottle. That That's amazing. But do you know the best thing about the whole story is they were so freaked out and they were rushing and they were doing, they were being very professional, but I lay there while they dicky tape wire to my bum and I made all the jokes and I made them feel better. And I don't say that because I'm a legend and, and they weren't doing their job properly. It was really early on in the process and it made me feel a lot better. And I think that that was the point at which I thought, I reckon I can do this if I mm. can have a joke with it. Anyway, I stood up, I put my gown on, I went back up to the um, change rooms and two things happened completely simultaneously. I realised that I still had a wire ring taped to my bum hole and <laughs> there was a very gentle, embarrassed tapping on the door of the nurse who had chased me down the hallway realising that she had left the wire stuck to my bum hole. Oh, and, no. then, and she went, oh, she went tap, 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 tap. And I said, yes. And she went, um... I said, it's okay. I've sorted it out. And she's like, okay, thank you. She ran away. <laughs> it, it obviously oh, sounded better with an Australian accent as well. When you were <laughs> explaining that, when you were explaining the, 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 all the, the, the women being like, like feeling weird, I had, I had, uh, I was, I had shuffled over to another page of my computer and I and I have like eight, eight tab things open. So I was trying to make my way back to the screen. I obviously missed something. And I, I thought that you were describing these people like shuffling and feeling really weird because they had, because like they had already measured the <laughs> circumference of your butthole and they were and like, it was abnormal. Yeah. And, and they were like, Oh my God, she's got, she's got the, She's got the widest butthole <laughs> like we've ever seen ever or something like that. And they like, didn't want to tell you. And I was just laughing to myself, but I was completely wrong. I'm really curious about, uh, you, you mentioned that like the Hold radiation. on, hold on, Brian. Wait, hold on, Brian. I, got, I have to know this. I'm sorry. Okay. I, you don't have to tell me the circumference of your butthole, but are we talking, are we talking, are we talking like resting circumference or like, like maximum, str- <laughs> like, like, wow. what? Because <laughs> wow. I, I you can't, know I, that. Because yeah. I want it. Because because there's a big depends, difference. Because there's a big difference. There's a huge difference of those two circumferences. And so they, I'm wondering if they had to measure me so they could replicate how I would be every day for 15 minutes lying on a bed. Mm. Right. So okay. So Relax. resting butthole. So you right, just yeah, take right, that right, information. Right. You, you you do it. <laughs> okay. What you okay. All right. So so Ellie, carry you said on, that, um, Carry on. You said that uh, it's like third degree burns from the radiation on your butthole, and obviously, um, we said it a number of times in this episode. We we say it all the time. Everybody poops. Um, everybody does. How poop. how difficult was it Ooh, to go to the yeah. bathroom? It was for the, the six worst, week period. Or, the worst pain I've ever experienced. It wasn't for the six-week period. Um, um, yeah. What happens is radiation burns build up. So for the first two or three weeks, oh. it's manageable. And after about four or five weeks, it starts to get a bit worse. I had to go in and check in with nurses once a week, and they just had to sort of check in that my skin hadn't started to break. 
um, and and basically blister and peel. Um, they knew that even though the treatment was six weeks long, the worst of the pain is actually in the sixth, seventh, and eighth week because that's um, that basically the radiation stays in your body and then continues to work and continues to fry mm. basically. Um, <sighs> so by the time I was hospitalised. Um, around week six of my treatment, um, it was because I couldn't go to the bathroom and do poos um, without morphine um, because um, oh, I passed out. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. my Lord. Wow, it was that intense. Yeah. So I Is, ended up wow. um, having morphine injections. Um, I was on some serious opiates. And it was a mm. very... Um, it was it was very very bad, and then um, it was very very lovely, <laughs> which is sort of the cycle of being in being in hospital for pain treatment. Was it was wow, that the reason so why you had to be hospitalised at that point because it was yeah. so pain like it was the pain management part that's of it? That's it. Yeah, they they yeah. just say you know we our job is to get you to the end of this six week process and yeah. ideally and- to give you thirty sessions in a concentrated six week period, and if you stop and then start again, then the efficacy of the treatment is um, compromised. So mm-hmm. all they wanted to do was give me um, as much pain treatment and also to literally, I couldn't walk around, I couldn't walk. Yeah. So they just wanted to um, limit the amount of laundry, childminding, cooking um, I was doing by literally forcing me to lie in bed and giving me lots of drugs and also lots of um, sort of gels and creams and all those sorts of things. And and that's pretty typical for for people who are are dealing with anal cancer and, and have to go through the whole radiation process of that particular area. Like I haven't uh, spoken the, to anyone who has had treatment for anal cancer and hasn't gone through that. Right. Yeah. Fuck, How man, long were you in so hospital? Wild. Um, two two weeks, I think. I was. Um, yeah, I was allowed out on weekends because I really missed my kid, um, and. Um, yeah, it was, and then it was probably another four or five weeks of slowly decreasing pain at home mm-hmm. um, before I could um, start to live a, a slightly more normal life. Do you, do you lose your hair? No, not no. with radiation. That's a that's but a that's a chemo thing. She did chemo as well, so I was wondering, yeah, yeah. Like, did did you end no, up? No, my my because it was sort of those small little so, um, so short of those yeah. those pockets. I didn't right. I didn't lose my hair. Um, but yeah, the, the hospital thing was really interesting because, you know, I, I can remember the early days of having a kid and being really tired and not having any time to myself and having to cook and clean all the time. And there were these moments where I almost felt guilty because, I mean, I was off my tits on morphine, but I was lying around getting food delivered and I had Netflix and flowers and, um, you know, and, and you almost sort of, you can compartmentalize and reframe what you're experiencing by um, seeing how wonderful it is, really. And I know that sounds really fucked up, but um, no, it doesn't. It was, I, I I fully relate to that. Like when I when I, I get hospitalized, maybe two, you know, on a bad year, like three times a year, and and I'm in there. I'm living in the hospital for two weeks at a time, every yeah. time, and and like. Sometimes it sometimes it's really rough, but there's sometimes where I'm in there and I'm I'm thinking to myself like you know what this is a this is a little bit of a mini vacation you know like I'm I'm you know I I I think back there's a, a Battlestar Battlestar Galactica is one of my like all time favorite shows and I yep. watched that show from start to finish every season in in a hospital bed and like I think back to that show when I think back to like you know if I ever consider like rewatching that show during like quarantine lockdown times yeah. I don't have I don't have this feeling of like oh no that show's going to trigger me and make me think about times yeah. that were shitty I think about that show and I go wow that show is so special to me because it it <laughs> it really like it got me through a really rough time and it actually made that time like as fucked up as you as it might sound really really manageable and really enjoyable and like there's there's i have a fond memory of of that that experience of like mm. you know being being you know being swept away up in that world of, of yeah. that television show um, just like the difference right like the like you're changing you're changing speeds and even if like ultimately that change of speed is shitty 
it's different from what you're used to, which like in some weird way is like kind of refreshing. Yeah. It's possible. It's possible to refresh. And, and, and because I think there's something really important that you said there, Ella was you had the ability to reframe what was happening. Right. Yeah. And so there's, there's, because not every, I don't think everyone has that experience. And I think that to have that experience, it takes effort. And not everybody has the privilege to be able to re- reframe yes. like that because they don't have the same, you know, like Jer and by the, by the sounds of it, Ella, like your experiences with being in the hospital or being out of commission for a prolonged period of time is that, you know, there are people there supporting you too. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. Jer, like Taylor and I come visit you, your family come comes to visit you. Ella, you, you said that you were getting flowers. You mm-hmm. had somebody to help support support um with your your child presumably your husband and family and friends so um yeah like it is it is like it's something i guess it's probably this sense of i haven't personally been in this situation but it's probably i assume the sense of like gratefulness that you have those things right yeah and also um Mm. with gratitude because i'm a woman comes guilt and so there was this sort of moment as well that I was like, oh, I feel a bit guilty that I'm not, because I was in a cancer ward, so there were people around me sort of, you know, vomiting and screaming with pain. I mean, I think I was mm. screaming with pain a fair bit, but um, the, the whole nausea, like I just kept, kept feeling so grateful that I wasn't nauseous because I thought at least when the drugs kick in, I know I've got a two-hour block where I can nap or watch TV and I'm not crying anymore. Um, mm. But then I felt guilty that I wasn't, nauseous or I wasn't bald or I wasn't terminal. Um, and you know, so, so yes, I I was incredibly grateful and, and a touch guilty. Um, but to, to your point, um, about Battlestar Galactica, Jeremy, I think, um, for me it was Instagram, which sounds really fucked up, but yeah, no, I don't know how anyone could go through a process like that without some form of social connectivity Mm -hmm. because I was so doped up but I was also really lonely and so I couldn't really have long phone conversations I didn't want to see anyone so the idea of being on Instagram and being able to have these little little short snippets and check-ins with um with people um again that was reframing for me because it also allowed Mm. me to I almost put on this sort of hat where I was observing what was happening around me rather than experiencing it myself so I suddenly got really funny (laughs) and I got really silly and I started to sort of just walking through the cancer ward and just picking up little things. Like there was a woman there who used to um, steal all the Tim Tams, which is this amazing Australian like chocolate biscuit, like a cookie. Mm. And um, it's like the queen of the biscuits. And there were only ever five Tim Tams at one time and she used to hoard them. And I became obsessed (laughs) with how she was hoarding the Tim Tams. And that sort of became a big thing on Instagram. So and, and I was basically just recreating a world that I could filter my experience through that made it funny and controllable mm. and enjoyable. And you were, <laughs> you were documenting all of this through your own social media. Did you, did you, um, did you find there was like also some sort of, like, did you start to develop an audience who were, who were, who were grateful for, for, being taken along on that journey with you, you know what I mean? Like, did, were you receiving, were you receiving messages or, or comments from people that were like grateful to, to have, to have like a, a sort of peer into your own personal experience? Because again, like a big part of why we do this show is that being sick is a, is a human experience. It's something that we are all affected by in some way. Or we will be in, in in one way or another at some point in our lives. Mm. So did did you did you did you experience a sense of that? Yeah, I mean, um, uh, I got lots of really beautiful words. I mean, of course I did. I was a thirty six year old mother of one with cancer, and everyone thought I was probably mm. going to die. So everyone was being really nice. Um, <laughs> but I think that the thing about cancer is that um, it's a tale that we think we all know. It just follows this template. Um, you know, we've all seen Stepmom or The Fault in Our Stars and it's basically the, the 21st century boogie monster. So when you hear that someone who you can relate to, either from the school playground or from the ad agency corridors has been diagnosed, um, people get really, really scared and they also get mm. really, really curious. And I um, 
pretty quickly on. <laughs> I weeded out um, the ambulance chases and the creeps um, and I stuck with a group of people who um, were willing to laugh with me and were willing to sort of go along for the ride with all the gross jokes and the oversharing mm. and saying things that cancer people shouldn't say, but I said anyway. Um, and in doing that, I almost developed this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy of the more people that sort of joined that community, the more um, dialogue I had with people in a similar mind frame, which then created um, a community where we were all um, sort of helping each other. So, yeah, I, I definitely found a, a, a positive feedback. Luke, yeah. Mm. Uh, tell it. Tell us about. We're we're slowly coming up to time here, but before we before we wrap it up, I really want I want to know about uh, no more fucking lasagna. <laughs> uh, I'm writing a book. I say I'm writing a book. Um, I'm writing words on a word document, um, and one day, <laughs> if I'm very lucky, it will be it will be published. I got a lot of lasagna when I was first diagnosed. I think we had twelve lasagnas in the first week. Um, I don't know if it's, it's an Australian thing, but people just kept turning up with lasagnas. Um, yeah, ca- casseroles seem to be the thing. I had that. Right. Got out of the hospital. It's just like, I just, uh, even now when I see lasagna, I just feel mildly nauseous. Um, I'm, <laughs> I um, took my Instagram off private um, about a week after I got back from hospital. And I started to communicate with um, lots of strangers, not huge amounts, but um, groups of people who maybe um, had cancer themselves or had people around them who had been just diagnosed and they weren't following that sort of template that I talked about of, of being what being a cancer person should be, which is you become all spiritual and you don't swear um, and you wear like floral linens and things. Um, uh, and so I sort of um, found that I became this, um, I don't know, a bit of a magnet for people checking in and asking me questions. So my mate's just been diagnosed. She's a fucking legend, but I don't want to say the wrong thing. So have you got any suggestions? Um, and and I created um, so many little mini emails and listicles and um, guides on what to do and, and things like that, that mm. I ended up thought, oh, bugger it, I'll just put it all into um, into a book. So, yeah, I'm, I'm writing this book and it's all about, um, it's basically a book for the recently cancery and it's, um, it's to just mm-hmm. hold your hand and take you through the first six weeks um, after the worst moment in your life. Mm. That sounds really I, amazing. Yeah, it does. I, I I have a feeling that uh, you know our listeners, knowing that the that this is a work in progress, uh, a lot of our listeners are likely going to want to kind of follow along so that when that book does drop, they can get their hands on it. Uh, where can where can our listeners uh, follow you and and keep up to date with what's going on in your life? Um, you can um, be bombarded with um, inappropriate sweary Instagram stories. Um, on my Instagram account. I'm Ella Ward and you can find me at Ms. Ella Bella, which is um, exactly what it sounds like. It's an Instagram handle that was set up in 2012 by someone who didn't understand Instagram. Uh (laughs) Yep, got it, yeah. It's underscore M-S-E-L-L-A-B-E-L-L-A. Ella, this this has been a real fucking treat. Uh, You're our first guest that we've ever had on the show who has spoken to us from Australia. Um, I can't speak to whether or not you're the first Australian we've had on the show. We might have had one and we just didn't know because, I don't know, they're you know, so they, they were just they so are. sneaky. We're, with we're, their, with we're their... renowned for being, being very sneaky. <laughs> you're you're sneaky, sneaky. people. <laughs> uh, this, has been, this has been a real treat. Hey, Ella, I just, I wanted to say too before, um, before we sign off, you know, like, I think everybody has um, those conversations in their lives where, you know, somebody says something and it may seem <laughs> in- insignificant to them, but it, it leaves a really profound impact on you. And I mm. I can't stop thinking about um, the way that you reframed the way that I, I think about my mom sharing her cancer journey with me. So um, thanks a lot for that. It means It means a lot to me. Thank you so much. That's a really special thing to hear you say. I really appreciate that. How's your mum doing now? She's uh, she's doing as well as she'll tell me. Yeah, okay, <laughs> uh, that's she's, good. She's um, she's 
uh, been in remission for a few years now, and mm-hmm. and her last uh, checkup was was all good. So yeah, she's doing really well. That's I, I'm happy mm-hmm. to hear that. Yeah, I have one more thing to say that's even more important than what Brian just said. Um, what happens <laughs> in the stock market tomorrow? Oh, <laughs> I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. It's our, it's our sneaky Australian ways. Damn it. <laughs> Um, I actually do have one last thing to say, which is probably a little bit more important than that. Uh, Ella, what, what would you say, what would you say is the biggest thing that your, your experience with, with cancer has taken away from you? It's taken away the confidence that when I feared something, it was just in my head. Mm. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? A voice. Um, I always had it, but, um, yeah, now that now that I've had the experience of speaking and some people listening, um, I realise that maybe I can keep talking. That's uh, one of the best answers to that question I've ever heard. Uh, oh. Again, Ella, thank you so much. This Thanks, was really boys. really lovely. And it's been uh, dreamy. This is so thrilling for me yeah, in my little yeah. house down in Melbourne. Yeah, well, it was, it was really fun for us, too. Yeah. Um, and, and thank you all so much for listening. We, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, as always, we'll be back next week with another great conversation. Uh, in the meantime, though, uh, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review because uh, it would mean the world to us. It's actually a really important part of c- kind of keeping us on the iTunes charts, which is like... For some reason, it's like the be-all, end-all of the place to be. Although Spotify is switching up their shit and kind of a cool place to listen to the podcast, too, which we are also there. So all you Spotify people, we love you, and Mm -hmm. we see you, and we hear you, and there's nowhere to leave ratings and reviews there, and that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, We just kind of take it at face value. Um, And if you want to support the podcast in other ways, Taylor, why don't you tell them about our Patreon? You know know how to use the interwebs. You can, you know, do it on the Patreon app and search up Sick Boy, or you can go to patreon.com slash sickboy and contribute to our amazing and awesome uh, community there and become a part of our community there. We're actually going to be um, hopping off to um, join a Patreon hangout with all of our patrons right after we, uh, right after this. Literally, um, literally, literally in 15 we're gonna, minutes. We're going to end this conversation yeah. and we're going to go right over there. Um, and yeah. so if you are one of our patrons, you can go hang out with us there on, on Wednesdays while this crazy fucking pandemic is still ravaging the earth. Um, so yeah, patreon.com slash sickboy. We love each and every one of our patrons. And thanks as always to Donovan, the CPAP Morgan for the amazing sound design on this show. Um, you know, I'm really intrigued by these radiation laser cannons and, oh, yeah. uh, I'm, I really want to know what it sounds like when one of those, uh, puppies starts to power up and get ready to blastness into some, uh, some cancer. So, uh, Donovan, why don't you make it sound like we're, we're tearing apart some cancerous cells and blowing them to fucking oblivion. Oh that's, yeah. That's it sounds like right Oh, that was cool. Whoa. Wow. Uh, That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.